Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Lots of big stuff to do on the show today. Some venting about perceptions, perhaps, of the local media slash predators slash fan base. Um, you've got four major second half questions that you need answered about this franchise. You wrote about them for the Post. Go check it out. Uh, pay for good journalism, of course. Support good journalism, I should say. Nashville scene, Nashville Post. Um, UC Saros played in the All-Star game. Pretty successful weekend for him. I'm not sure how many people saw it uh, or if how many people care about that kind of stuff anymore. Um, I know this is the, the number one headline in your life. Cole Smith has signed an extension. Tommy Novak has signed an extension. Now, there is an actually legitimately interesting question to come off of those two contracts, not just trying to anger Michael Gallagher <laughs> into keeping Cole Bringing Smith Cole around. Smith. Cole Smith is like John Scott from a couple years ago. He just won't go away. <laughs> keeping him around as long as possible. Uh, so we've got some of that stuff. Uh, obviously, uh, and Scott Wheeler, by the way, put out his prospect list. Um, and the Predators continue to move up the rankings in the NHL. Uh, but had some interesting names and some interesting spots. And I know you're big on the prospects, so I want to get your thoughts on that a little bit later on in the pod as well. Uh, but we're going to start with what took place against Las Vegas and um, what that means for this team as they got finally got back onto the ice uh, after the three-game winning streak and then the 10-day break and the All-Star break. And it was not pretty, so we'll do all that coming up today on the show. Big show. Um, pay for, you know, again, support good journalism, the post and the scene. It's All Your Fault podcast is a partner of ours with you and Gover, so make sure you check that out. Uh, each and every week um, as well, uh, wherever you get your podcast, rate, review, subscribe, support the shows. Also, support our wonderful and amazing sponsor, Jaspers, over on West End. Parking is free. The game room is awesome. They'll watch your kids for you, although that's not expressly written anywhere in their, <laughs> anywhere, in their anywhere in their documents. The food is amazing. Uh, and of course, they have fantastic Preds specials and a and a drink name after this show. The Gold Standard Cocktail is a whiskey drink. Go check it out. And, of course, uh, $10 smash burgers, $3 beers during Preds games, home and road. There are 10 of those left until the trade deadline. So either we're going to get, like, 37 really fun games into some playoff series, and Jaspers is a great place to watch all those games, or or you've got 10 games. <laughs> I, w- I want to know why... So listener George Scoville tweeted us over the weekend that he went to Jasper's and tried a bunch of stuff. I want to know why the chocolate peanut butter sundae has not made it into the ads, because that's something that I think I would like to know about. And I think a lot of other people would like to know about. Uh, I, I would agree with that. Um, I'm not sure where to find that on the menu. I feel like that was like a secret addition that they just recently made. Because here's the deal. The next evolution of a photo of him holding a a thing. So maybe it's like a limited time thing or something. Well, and it was like a separate piece, like off the menu. But here's the thing. Like, what would you expect from the next evolution of the sports bar is to continue to evolve and add new items and new things to the menu so that when you show up, you get new stuff every time. There's new there's new cool stuff every time. And um, by the way, shout out to George. George is great. Love George. Um, Avid listener since the beginning. Um, so about damn time you got to Jasper's George. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, but thank you for that. It, it, it does. What is it? Peanut butter fudge. What would you say it was again? It was a peanut butter fudge Sunday, I think. Oh my God. That sounds like my high school. Uh, that <laughs> sounds like things I would consume when I was about 18 years old and had the body fat of a of about three percent um uh, it sounds delicious though i'm all for chocolate and peanut butter all together yeah, chocolate peanut butter sundae and oh they also God. have a gluten-free chocolate crumble too Ooh, now that that's a, that 
I, I'm not I'm not down with the gluten free chocolate. I'm not down with that. I, like gluten free uh, uh, vodka, gluten free tortilla chips, all good. The picture makes it look very good, and I, I'm looking at the photo George tweeted. Now I see it says February 1st through 28th, so I'm assuming it's just for the month of February. There you go. Uh, so good, great for a Valentine's date spot as well. I will say this: uh, I'm not I'm down with gluten free tortilla chips and vodka because they never had gluten to begin with. Uh, however, gluten free pizza and beer, no, no, thank you. I, I give yeah. me all the give me all the gluten in my pasta and my beer and my uh, I, I like all the yeast. You know what I mean? Just give it all to me. Uh, okay, so a lot of stuff to get to. Four second half questions that you need answering. All star break. A couple of new contracts for forwards. The prospect rankings list. So a big show, and of course some complaining uh, about Twitter, which is just par for the course <laughs> these days. Um, really across our entire country, especially this yeah. week. Uh, um. But but we get started. We've got 11 games to go, now just 10 after the 5-1 loss to Vegas at home after a 10-day layoff. And they get started well, Duchesne scores. But to me, it's it's they were clearly very, very rusty. Turnovers, bad decision-making. UC Saros didn't look particularly sharp in situations where he normally is. Uh, Roman Yossi could not handle the puck a couple of times, leading directly to some big goals. They scored three straight in the first period. Um, it's not that they got beat by a good team at home coming off the layoff. That is true. <laughs> it's that it was disgusting. <laughs> like it's how they got beat. They had five shots halfway through the game, six shots entering the third period, and they did not get their seventh shot until like 10 minutes to go. Uh, they put up a graphic on the screen that showed like, that, that the Preds had missed the net in the in the slot like seven or eight or ten times and then like the very next thing that happens is colton sissons misses a wide open backdoor chance from like two feet away uh, it's not michael that they lost the the game it's not that the two points changes the trajectory of the franchise it's not any of that stuff it is how bad they looked that is the concern for me yeah that was Oh, I don't even know. I don't even have words to describe that. That was by far their worst game of the season. And that may just be the worst game I have ever watched since I started covering this team in 2015. Oh, my God. And I'm not exaggerating. That was so bad. They looked, I don't want to say look good. They looked decent for the first five minutes. Matt Duchesne scores and you're like, okay, you know, they're they're up on Vegas. So this is going to be a close game. And then a minute and a half later, they give up two goals within 25 seconds, and then they give up five unanswered goals after Matt Duchesne scores. And it just, Saros looked off. The offense, everything looked off. I don't know what they did over the break. I don't I don't think it's a where, I don't think it's like a situation where they just didn't do anything hockey related for 11 days. Like they had days of practice and they still did stuff, but I did not expect them to, to be that bad coming back from the break. I mean, they go and they, they win three in a row. They have their their infamous team meeting and stuff. And they're talking about changing the trajectory of their season and how everyone needs to pick up the slack. And then they come out and they, they, they do that. I, I, I don't have answers. I just, Vegas is a good team. They're 30, 18 and four. Like they're a playoff team. They're, they're, they're always a team that gives Nashville like a hard time when they play, but that was just all around bad. Like that's, that's that performance last night is something you would expect out of like Chicago or Arizona or Anaheim. But I have no words. Everything was bad. Defense, offense, goaltending, everything all across the board. You said everything was off, and that's true, except for the power play. The power play was exactly how it's been the entire season. So it wasn't technically off. It was just bad. <laughs> so, well, you can't. Although, although they, they did, like in the first minute of the first power play, they actually set it up, had possession, 
and created a couple of good chances and they could have scored on the back door and they it, it still they just like didn't even get a shot on goal in that situation didn't even get a shot on goal yeah and it baffles me that they were dangerously close to to setting the franchise record for the fewest shots on goal in a game that record is nine by the way it was set in 2001 <laughs> i believe they ended up with 17 shots and most of those came like in the last 10 minutes of the third period when you're down five goals and you're just trying to make anything work so you're just throwing shit at the net but that's that's just crazy six shots on goal going into the third period and what i thought was amusing is i was not at the game last night i've been feeling under the weather the last couple of days so i tried to do my my fellow reporters a solid and not spread any you know germs or anything that could possibly get anyone else sick it's not covid um I, listen, I, I was, when the weather goes from 19 to 60 we all get fucked up okay yeah my I two kids, my, my, my nose was running. It was, it was not. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Me too. Two kids are home from school. Like it's just the way it is, man. When you go from snow day to sixty four, <laughs> sorry, that's just how. And then it's I feel be. bad because I see Joe Rexro tweets out a photo of Alex Darty <laughs> by himself, and there's nobody within like seven chairs of him. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's <laughs> that's par for the course, probably. But yeah, I, I ended and, up watching. And, and, and by the way, how dare you have an opinion on a hockey game that you're watching from home? How dare yeah, you? The how nerve. Nerve. Um, but I was I was watching from home and I and I wasn't tweeting about the game because I just didn't feel great. But I'm just sitting there watching and I'm trying to think of the last time I saw a performance that was that bad and I couldn't I couldn't think of anything. Six shots on goal through two periods. That's that's almost impressive because that's really hard to do. Even if you're just not trying. Like I've seen them put up 20, 30 shots in in, in two periods and it doesn't even look like they're actually trying. So it was. I don't, I, I'm almost impressed at how bad they performed last night because you come back from from <laughs> playing this this nice three game stretch and the vibe is good and the locker room's feeling good and you're talking about we're gonna rest and recharge and come back because we know we needed to do this. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. words are escaping me. Be, I, I, talking no, about that. it's it's big. Listen, what we needed to see from this team in the eleven games from the break into the deadline was that those three games post-meeting weren't an aberration. We needed to see that those three games were the new Predators. Yeah. And again, if you lose to to Vegas in a pretty well-played, closely matched game, I don't think anyone changes their opinion necessarily about what that this yeah. team looked like in those three games. If you, you lose go, last night five to four, no one really cares. Three to two doesn't matter. If it's even three to one with like an empty netter, people would be like, okay, fine. You played a really good team really well. I still see the things that I saw from the team in those three games post meeting heading into the um, uh, heading into the break. But again, like on the first goal that they gave up, they just got they got beat in every phase of it. Basically, Vegas beat him on the four check. Then there's a guy standing in the slot. Nobody's covering him. Then he passes it to another guy who nobody is covering. So it's bad, bad back checking, bad defensive zone coverage, just like bad all around. Then you have Yossi making the mistake where he just can't even handle the puck, which is extremely rare and unlikely, but it but it can't yeah. happen. UC Saros is generally great at stopping those situations and bailing his team out, but he didn't have it in the first period. So like it's not j- like every single type of thing that could have gone wrong was going wrong. And then when like even I, I love UC Saros to death. He's great. And I know why he complained about the fourth goal. But like Gravel just just like cross-check the guy right into him. There's a reason that John Hines and the Predators didn't review that goal. So yeah. uh, again, like the whole thing, they go 50 minutes and they had seven shots. They got 10 shots in the last nine, 10 minutes of the game when it was, when they were down by three goals, like it was not a game at that point. That's like, that's like passing statistics in a blowout of a football game because you're trailing and you're throwing on every down. Like that's all that is. Um, so it's how it looked 
that that changes the entire narrative about those three games. Now they can get right back on the horse, and if they win two or three more and play like they did pre-break, okay, it was an aberration. They were rusty. Let's get it out of our system. But uh, it's gonna be hard to ignore that one uh, moving forward. That that's yeah. that's for sure. When we're this and close I, to the deadline, and I, and the thing that's frustrating, I guess, about it is watching the the post game interviews when I think John Hines, I think Emma Lingen, the team reporter, asked him something, uh, asked him a question. And he was like, well, the frustrating part is we have to figure out why this happened, right? You're the head coach, man. That's what you get paid to do. You should know why this happened. It, that's that's something I think that's bothering a lot of the fans and leading to a lot of this, this I don't know, animosity, I guess, fans against the team, is there's no accountability. Roman Yossi last night, I mean, granted, it was only Matt Duchesne, Roman Yossi, and John Hines that spoke. But Roman Yossi was the only one that even sounded like he had a, a like a hint of taking responsibility. He said, yeah, I let two goals go in early on that I shouldn't have. He says, disappointing because we felt like we built momentum. He said, but we don't have time to wait to see where things go. We've got to get points. Every point is huge. Everyone else just seemed like, yeah, it was bad team effort. You know, that happens. We got to rebound from this and stuff. It's like, no, this is why the fan base is so angry at this team is because there's they have games like this no one is being held accountable and they don't feel like there's going to be change they feel like this is what they're going to continue to be stuck with and i i don't know i don't want to overreact too much to just one game like yeah it is kind of bad like last night was really bad i don't think you're going to see many more games like that but i think it's just one of those things where we've seen maybe not to the extent of how bad last night was but we've seen games like last night happen more often this year than games like positive games where they've actually went out and dominated from the beginning to the end and they've been the better team well 10 games left now again i agree with you we're not going to see another one that's that bad and if we do then we're going to know exactly the answer to all of these questions that we're about to ask you wrote a you wrote a story for the post nationalpost.com if you want to follow along sort of the biggest questions that you think need to be answered by the Nashville Predators in the second half of the season over the final 38 games, I guess now 37. And number one on your list is which players are capable of more. And we've talked a lot about this with the Stars not scoring. I don't think Forsberg and, and Yossi count in this conversation. They're sort of on career paths that are roughly equivalent with normal production. Uh, but we've spent a lot of time talking about this. And it is it is largely, and Duchesne has, you know, four goals, I think, in four games. He's had like I want to say like 17 points in 20 something games. Like he's, he's scoring and he, I, I don't know what his contribution mattered against Vegas, but he scored a goal. So <laughs> it, it, it comes down to someone else has to step up around Roman Yossi and Philip Forsberg. Who's it going to be a bunch of dudes that get paid lots of money. Yeah. And I, I wrote, they, they have 42 and a half million dollars tied up in Forsberg, Duchesne, Johansson, Granlin, Yossi, Niederreiter. You need more than just Forsberg and Yossi to kind of carry their weight there. And like, yeah, Duchesne had a nice three game stretch before the all-star break. I think he had three goals and, and four points, but he's basically he's performing at a 20 goal, 60 point pace. And that would be fine if you were paying him five and a half, six million a year. You're paying the guy eight million dollars a year. You expect seasons like last year. You expect 40 goals and 80 points out of him. Johansson Niederreiter, they were both hot when they started the season. They've kind of regressed to the mean a little bit. Um, I mean. You're basically you. You need a 26 goal, 63 point Ryan Johansson from last year. You need him to kind of return to that. You need Nito Niederreiter to be the guy that had 11 points through the first what 22 games. I think he he had what four or five goals in the first three or four games. It, it, and I said it's tough to to kind of set fair expectations for Granlin because I mean he before they acquired him he was only a 20 goal scorer twice. Yeah. He was a 60 point player from Minnesota, I think twice. So it's not like you were going out and you were you were getting a Miko Ranton in or a Gabe Landeskog or something like that. Like he was he was a 
slightly above average player. But but he creates. Right. He created offense last year, and that's what you yeah. need him to do this year. And, and you're looking at him this year, and you're just you're just kind of wondering like what's going on. Six goals and 28 points in 49 games. He's basically getting. I, I don't even know. Like he he's he's up and down the lineup. He I, I don't want to say like he's not getting chances because he's playing in the top six. He's playing with the team's best players. You, you need more than six goals out of Grandland. Twenty two assists doesn't look that bad, but when you consider that he's he's played there what forty nine games into this and he's only got twenty eight points, he's a minus fifteen player as well. Like that shows you not only is he not creating offensively, but he is almost a liability defensively too. And I think that's something you're paying him five million dollars a year. You signed him to be your top line center, and he hasn't really been doing anything you wanted to. And you just kind of wonder, like, that contract looks bad now. But two, you you wonder, like, where Granlin fits. Is, is he going to be able to turn this around as well? So, so Niederreiter scored nine goals in the first 22 games. Um, yeah. He has scored four in the next, what is it, uh, 46 games? He scored four goals. So he he's clearly slowed down. Or no, that's that can't be right. Uh, 36 games. 26 games. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm bad at math. 26 games. Um, so basically, he's, his production is a cut in half. I think if he ends up with 25 goals, I think people are going to be fine with that. But like again, if they all happen in the first two months of the season, and now we're on the playoff push and the playoff bubble in those last two months of the season, that's when you need your big names to step up. And you do the math on the on, – take Forsberg and Yossi out of it. I mean, that's still 21, that's still $25 million a year for Duchesne, Johansson, Granlund, and Niederreiter that need to step into bigger. Like, bottom line is, if you want to make the playoffs, your stars have to carry you. Uh, and those four guys need to have like stretches where they are just carrying the team and dominant. And uh, I think that's a good first question. Number two. Uh, and this is, I think this ties directly into number one, yeah. which is where, <laughs> where is the offense going to come from? Cause it sure is hell like the power play, dude. So. No, I mean, yeah, the the three games before the break look really good. 13 goals in those three games. Like that was impressive for that little mini hot streak there. But even with that that little outburst, they still rank 26 in goals. I think uh, what 2.81 goals per game. They're 27th in total goals scored. It's it's crazy just how offensively anemic this team is. The Predators have just five players, Forsberg, Duchesne, Niederreiter, Johansson, and Yossi with double digit goals this season. Only five teams have fewer players with, with 10 or more goals. And that's including the Ducks. Put that in context. The Ducks have more players with double-digit goals than the Predators do. And they rank next to last in goal scoring. That just shows you the dire state of this team. And I think the thing that you look at this like, yeah, Duchesne probably makes up a lot of, 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 what, of what this is. 40-something goal scorer last year. He's only got 15 right. through this year. Really only 14 because I don't want to count last night, but. <laughs> and you look you gotta, at it, you got to count it. <laughs> yeah, you got to count it. I, I they, all, they all count. <laughs> but, you, but you look at it and it's like, OK, well, he's I don't think we expected him to be a 40 goal, 80 point player. But I think a 30 goal, 70 point player was fair. The same thing with Philip Forsberg. I don't think we expected Yossi to be a 96 point player, but an 80 point player like you expect a little bit of drop off. But this just feels like he's dropped off significantly. And then you look at Tanner Janot. Yes, I have a story that will be coming out on him. I, I honestly, I tuned it, I tuned it out for a little bit because once the All Star break hit, I used that time to catch up on some rest. When, when is, when is this mythical Tanner Janot story you've been talking about for a month and a half actually going to run? I'm hoping it'll come out no later than Monday. I, I have, I've had a lot of stuff on the back burner. The Titans hired a GM, and then they hired an offensive coordinator, and yeah, yeah. 
I also work a second job, so I, I got a lot of balls in the air. But fa- fa- famous, famous last words uh, on the Tanner's you know story. I will say this is the reason this is slightly different than the stars have to carry you, and part of the reason that the first question is that the st- why who are which stars can step up and carry this team. Well, to is, the Tanner's no thing, real quick, I wanted to point out he's nine goals and fifteen points behind where he was at the same point last season. Well, That's and he that that's largely due to him playing all over the place, not having consistent lines and stuff like that. He's also not playing on the herd line, which has been the line he's been most successful with. But it, it, it just that just shows you. I feel like that's a microcosm of the team that you don't know where Tanner Janot is. One night he's on the second line, one night he's on the fourth line. He's bouncing all over the place. He hasn't been able to find any any production or anything like that. And I think it's just going to be difficult for him to the rest of the year. And we saw last year he was really good and he was on that herd line and he didn't score in the final 20 something games. I mean, he's having he's having trouble doing it now. So I I don't have any faith that he's going to turn it around either. So, yeah, if you add last year's chunk to this year's chunk, it's not good production. But I think that's the reason it's different than the first question is because if even if the stars just kick it up a notch, you still need more secondary scoring and. I mean, this is that's Tanner Janot that, you know, that's it would have been Philip Tomasino it would have been Ellie Tolvanen. It, it's not it's not either of those two guys. Yusuf Parson and Cody Glass have stepped up and they've played very well. They're more distributors at this point than they are sc- pure goal scorers. Yeah, so somebody so somebody Trenin. Yeah, like Trenin hasn't tre- these guys need to be double digit goal scorers. They need to be double digit goal scorers. And what like one thing I noticed about the lines, like I don't we'll talk about Cole Smith and have some fun with him later on. But like Cole Smith, Yusuf Parson and Colton Sissons. As a line, that was the third line going into the game against Vegas. Like, how is that putting Yusuf Parson in a position to succeed and produce? Like it's to not. me, that to me, that's that that is asking a player who has played forty games in his entire NHL career to carry Cole Smith and Colton Sissons to production. I know that line could be used for different things, and I know Parson is a really versatile player. But if Parson is creating offense and has been your top line center with talented names like Forsberg and Duchesne and Granlin around him that are going to produce when he gives them the puck in those good positions. You're not helping him at all by putting him with Cole Smith and Colton Sissons. And I, you guys know me, I love Colton Sissons, but like yeah. I've seen him miss the net more in the last couple of weeks than I, than I've seen him score goals. So like and part I of that is the byproduct of the contracts. Like right now, Cody glass and Yusuf Parson should be the top two centers for this team but they're not going to do that because they're paying Ryan Johansson $8 million a year. And you're not going to play Johansson on the third or the fourth line. You're not going to put Matt Duchesne out of the bottom six because you're paying him $8 million a year right now. You're in Grandland. You're paying him $5 million a year. You're not going to move Grandland to the fourth line center. You might do it for a game if you need to, but you're not going to make that like a thing, like a regular thing. Right. But the way they're playing right now, Cody Glass and Yuso Parson, I think are, are this, this team's best options at number one and number two center. Uh, it's possible. I mean, Johansson's still more talented and apparently was the, the primary voice of reason or motivation in, in the meeting. But um, third question on your on your story is, is UC Soros play sustainable? And I find this one to be difficult to answer because in a short term window, I think absolutely. We kind of know what he is. Could he play at an elite level and carry this team to a playoff spot or even a third place finish in the division? Maybe even carry him to a playoff series win? 100% he absolutely could. And we sort of know what his overall career statistics are which means he's probably going to eventually be around that on any given season but what you're doing is just like last year if anything were to happen to him injury wise or if he just has a bad stretch and, and now this year they it feels very different with Lincoln in behind him and that's a huge you know caveat and asterisk we need to include in this conversation I just think it's ask it's still asking a lot of one person to be the best at what he does 
and that be the reason your team wins everything. Like I don't that that's not fair to him, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, looking at it, I think the point I, I tried to make, and hopefully readers took this away from reading it, is he's certainly capable of it. But with the roster that's around him, I don't know if it's if it's feasible that it happens. And look, second most shots faced. Uh, he's recorded what the second most saves. He's played the fourth most minutes of any goalie. Like the usage is still as high as it was last year. It's it, he's mm-hmm. he's maybe one or two games less than he was last year because Blankenden is a more capable backup than David Riddick. But I mean, just look at his numbers. His 920 save percentage was before last night's game, by the way. His 920 save percentage was the the, the second best single season mark of his career. And in any season, he started 30 or more games. Yeah, his goals against average is a little bit higher. You would like that. You would like it to be below like two and a half. It's at, I think it was at 2.74 when I wrote this. But he's also facing the most shots per game he has over his entire career. He's facing 34 shots a game, and he gets left at left out to dry a lot. And it's it's just hard to expect someone. And and Pecorino was the same way. It's hard when your goalie is so good to kind of expect him to carry you to, to victory every night. But that's kind of what they have to do. Yeah. If if the team can figure it out around him, I think he is capable of this is this being sustainable for the rest of the season. And we saw what was it a year or two ago, two years ago, um, was it the fifty six game season, the final twenty eight games? I think he had a crazy record of like twenty seven and one or something like that. Like he is capable of carrying you on, carrying the team on his back for the entire second half of the season. But don't make the poor guy do it. Like don't yeah, don't yeah. take exactly. advantage of how good your goalie is because the rest of your team isn't up to par. Um, and the last one here before we kind of move on to our the second half of the show, which is, is this team a buyer or seller, which I think you put in the article just for me and Gober. Like, I think <laughs> I feel like you put that in there just to be like, all right, let's see what my co-hosts uh, think of, of of this piece here on. Again, it's all your fault with you and Gober and here on the Gold Standard brought to you by Jaspers. Um, I And you kind of said this, you alluded to to neither. You've alluded to the, de- the deadline history that David Poyle has or lack thereof. Um but I think again, like we've got 10 games to figure this out in no, in, in no way. I don't care if they go 10 and 0 in the last 10 games, in the 10 games, before, you you are not a buyer. We're, we're going to get to the prospect rankings in the second half of the show. And I could not be more excited potentially about where this franchise actually is building. But yeah. like all of that does not scream, sell those, those assets for, a rental so that you can finish as the three seed and maybe win one playoff series. I, I just, even, even I if you're know. dealing with a major injury, I don't think you can be a buyer. Even, even if you're four points ahead of, if you say you're in third place and you're in, in third place in the central by four points. And then I, I don't know, someone really important to the team gets injured. I don't want to jinx anyone, but just well, someone well. gets injured. You, you Alex, don't, Alex you, Carrier is two to four weeks away. So it's close. He's closer. Yeah. You, you, I still don't even think then. With the playoffs looking looking like a pretty good shot at that point, you go out and you make a trade. I don't really think you can. One, you don't have the cap space to go out and make a trade. Two, it's going to cost you way too much because you you don't have any roster players that are that are of importance you can trade. It's going to have to be prospects and picks. And when you're hosting the NHL draft next year, you're not going to trade away your first round pick. Could you imagine how unruly that crowd would be? You're hosting the <laughs> draft and you have to wait until the second round to make your first draft pick. There's just there's no way you can afford to deal a first round pick. Getting into the prospects, we'll talk about it a little bit. Like the first, the top seven, I think, from Scott Wheeler's prospect rankings on the athletic, they were all forwards. This is the best forward depth this team has probably ever had. 
I don't. I just or six of the top seven. One of them is Asker, obviously goalie. Yeah. Um, I just don't give, I just don't, don't, give think, it, don't give away all the analysis just yet. Okay. I just yeah. don't think you can afford to to trade away what you're going to what you're what's going to need to happen in the turn in the right in terms of prospects and picks. You you absolutely cannot be a buyer, but you can't ever say never with David Boyle because this guy is stubborn. He is hard headed, and he's going to do whatever the hell he wants to do, whether it makes sense or not. So again, if they tank over these next ten games, then you are the seller. But in no way, shape, oh, or yeah. form, in no way, shape, or form, should you be the buyer in this situation. And well, the crazy it, thing about it. this is they have thirty eight games. Well, thirty seven games after last night, they needed to win twenty one of the final thirty eight games to be at where they were last year, ninety seven points, which will get you into the playoffs. 19 of their games are 19 of their remaining 38 games are against non-playoff teams. So that means you need roughly six or seven wins against the playoff teams who you're going to have to beat once you get into the playoffs, by the way, you need to, you need to come up with six or seven wins against playoff teams yeah. and then beat all the teams you should to get into the playoffs. That, that is absolutely feasible for this team. I just, I'm not a big believer that they're going to be able to do it after watching last night. Um, all right. So um, we, we've got a lot of good stuff still to go. We're going to talk a lot about Cole Smith's $775,000 contract. <laughs> Tommy Novak has been signed to a one-year extension as well. There's some more RFAs. We'll get into that. We'll get into Scott Wheeler uh, and his prospect rankings. The the, the all-star game, of course, with UC Saros uh, highlighting it there. Um, what we do or don't or have never thought about the all-star game. Uh, and then, of course, some Twitter complaining, as we like to do at the end of the show, which is very navel gazy, but it's fine. It's whatever. Um, so we'll do all of that coming up. However, uh, before we do any of that, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. That is right. Jaspers. It's always brought to you by Jaspers every every day. Look, we, you guys know all about the, the Preds specials. You know about all the great drink specials and the burger specials and the drinks named after podcasts and all the amazing things they're doing for you Preds hockey fans. They also are available for you football fans, should you want to cater an event perhaps that might be taking place on a Sunday in the evening, early evening, late afternoon-ish, and you might be having people over to your house to have a gathering of some sort. And if you're to do that, take all the stress out of the planning and just go to Jasper's catering menu. I've, did it, I've done it for a football game this year. I did it for the Georgia-Tennessee game. We had 10 adults and 10 children like under seven and for like 150 bucks we fed all 20 people queso's delicious the tenders the pork sliders we had some cookies even as well like fed all 20 people not only that i had like four turkey smoked turkey wraps left over i had a couple barbecue pork sliders left over i had some chicken tenders left over three different flavors of chicken tender by the way gallagher uh just i'm telling you you want to take all the stress and concern out of feeding people this weekend during perhaps what might be called the big game, I I would say check out Jasper's catering menu. Just check it out. Take a look. It's very efficient. You drive over, you grab it, you come back, you're good to go. Here's a pro tip for you also, real quick. Turn on the crock pot at home before you leave to go get it. And when you come back, dump that queso into an already warmed up hot crock pot. That queso stays nice and 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 consistent for the entire game. I'm just telling you. It's a little 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 trick there for you folks. Solid if you, advice. If you like queso, of course. If you don't like queso then get out. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Unsubscribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cole Smith. Everybody's favorite internet meme, Cole Smith, signed to a one-year $775,000 deal next year. Of course, they also signed Tommy Novak to an $800,000 contract. 
And while I will give you space and time, <laughs> or, or I'll give you time to explore the studio space on Cole Smith, I think Tommy, Tommy Novak has been largely pretty pretty solid for this team. And at that price point, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I do not nearly have the same... Like, I am way more apathetic to Cole Smith than, like, you or <laughs> even the pro... Co- like, you're anti-Cole Smith. If, there are a couple of folks out there that we both know that are, like, pro-Cole Smith in the media but like i'm i'm just sort of like i don't he he's just exists in my life i got <laughs> i don't really think i don't have a strong feeling one way or another i think the most interesting el- angle is that if you look at this group of forwards for the Nashville Predators that are currently on the roster that are playing right now let's uh, again if you look at last night's starting lineup every single one of those players in last night's starting lineup i believe other than Glass and Janot, those are the two that are restricted free agents. Every one of those guys is under contract for next year. So as of right now, and we assume that Glass and Janot are going to get re-signed, all 12 spots that we are watching put up the 26th best offense and the 27th power play and all this other stuff, It right now, they are all, all scheduled to come back, basically. Like, you have already set up your lineup for next year, and I don't Maybe that's a great thing because some young guys are getting better. Parson and Glass, Novak, Jano, whatever. Some guys aren't. Some guys are very highly compensated. What did you make of the two contracts? And more importantly, what does it mean big picture for this franchise moving forward? <sighs> so, <laughs> all right. Let me let me preface this by saying I don't hate Cole Smith. I, I He's a very nice guy. Nothing against him personally. As a hockey player, I don't happen. I don't think that he, I think he's a below average hockey player. And on this team, so my issue, okay, I, I like the Tommy Novak contract. I'm not a fan of the Cole Smith one. And it's not that Cole Smith was re signed, it's not even the money that he was given. It's the fact that he's taking a roster spot from someone else next season, likely Philip Tomasino. And the part that irks me about this situation is like, okay, I get it. You want to keep Tomasino Milwaukee to play top line minutes instead of bottom six minutes in Nashville. But the kid had 11 goals and 32 points last year, playing mostly on your fourth line. Your fourth line right now has a combined 28 points. He outscored your entire fourth line by himself last year. And the kicker is you're burning (laughs) another year off of his ELC for nothing. After this season, Tomasino is only under contract through 2023-24, and then he hits restricted free agency the following season. The same with Igor Afanasiev. And it just feels eerily similar. And I'd hate for the same thing to happen that happened with Tolvin and to happen with Tomasino, where he's sitting around. It's time to give him another deal. Poyo looks at it and goes, you know what? He can't even get into the lineup and stick. Maybe we just let him go. I don't think that would happen. I, I don't see any scenario where David Poyo comes out of giving up on two first round, recent first round picks to where he still keeps his job. I just don't see that happening. But also, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> the other issue with this is if you take Cole Smith out of the lineup, what changes? Nothing. You're not losing out on yeah. offense. You're not losing out on a stellar two-way forward like Colton Sissons. You're not losing out on a face-off ace. This team is basically the same with Smith and without Smith in the lineup. You can field a better fourth line, in my opinion, with Michael McCarron, Mark Jankowski, and Tommy Novak. McCarron at least has size. He can he can take face-offs and he'll drop the gloves. Jankowski has more speed and there's the possibility of goal scoring with him. Novak can take face-offs. He's defensively responsible. He can adapt and play with pretty much anyone. I think that's the most underrated part of his game is Novak's game doesn't really change regardless of who he's playing with. That's something that I think is very 
key in this lineup, particularly with how much it changes, Novak can play and produce the exact same no matter who he's playing with. Well, and those three that, right it, there. Isn't that the entire coach's spiel around around Cole Smith? Is that like, oh, we he's he's Johnny consistent. We know exactly where he's going to be at all times and know exactly what he's going to do and what he's going to deliver on every shift. And da 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 da. I, I think you nailed it. I don't think. Where's he going to be at all times on the fourth line? What is he going to do? Nothing. Yeah. Right. Well, again, go. again, I am. A- <laughs> I am apathetic towards Cole Smith because of how you just explained it. I, I don't I think you can find a more talented piece that does more for for pretty easily in terms of like w- wins above replacement over Cole Smith. I don't think that's hard to find. I also don't think he hurts the team in any w- real way at all. I I think he's a good member of the, the locker room, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I don't he's think not hurting the team, but he's potentially holding them back from infusing. Right. Say you throw Tomasino in there. Right. You at least have the possibility of a goal score. You don't have that with Cole Smith. So whereas keeping him in the lineup isn't hurting them necessarily. It is holding them back from potentially being better than they are now. Right. He doesn't hurt, but he doesn't help. And by not helping, you're hurting <laughs> the opportunity to put somebody else in there that could help more again in a wins above replacement type of way. When we talk about this, I I'm, I am more, I don't know. I am more concerned about the fact that the predators feel locked into what their group is next year. Or do you think there is a, another, is there a layer beneath the layer with these two signings coming 10 games before the all-star or before the trade deadline? Is there between the lines that I could read here that that uh, again, I'm just I'm just making stuff up here like to have almost all 12 of your forwards locked up and those spots taken up for next season. Is that David Poyle prepping to move one of his big pieces away in, in case they they suck for the next 10 games? Like, is there another layer in the decision and the timing of these two contracts that I'm missing here? Or is it just take care of your small debt first, then we'll work on the bigger contracts, which if you add defensemen into this from a restricted free agent standpoint, it's not just Glass and Janot. Then you add Carrier and Fabro to the conversation as well. Is it just sort of like work your way up from the smallest contracts to the biggest ones? Or is there another layer that we need to, you know, <laughs> hypothesize about here? Yeah, it's it's tough to tell with David Boyle and the way he the way his mind works. I, in my opinion, I think it's more along the lines of what you first said. Lock up your roster for next year now while you can and you have the money, and then we'll worry about fixing and altering and stuff once the offseason hits. Forsberg, Duchesne, Johansson, locked in, not going anywhere. Yossi, locked in, not going anywhere. Eckholm, locked in, not going anywhere. Granlin. You look at Nino Niederreiter. He's he's under contract next season at $4 million. If you become a seller this year, he's he's a pretty attractive piece to a contender looking to add a little bit more scoring, punch a little bit more grit to their lineup. Uh, I mean, Jakob Trenin's locked in for another year, 1.7 million. Sisson's uh, 2.8 million. Like these are all team friendly contracts. You have Parson for under year for another contract or for another under contract for another year. Uh, you just re-signed uh, Novak and stuff. I think the only I think the only question mark at forward is Tanner Janot. And I think before the season started, Tanner Janot is making 800 thousand dollars this year. I think before the season started, he was probably a two to three million dollar per year player. He's really hurt his trade value with how poorly he's performed this year. I think he'll probably be around a million and a half-ish. But you're looking at it, if you're David Poyle, like, I, I'm not saying he's not considering re-signing Tanner Janot, but I wonder if they're locking this many pieces of the forward group, group up. Does Tanner Janot kind of get the Ellie Tolvanen treatment where it's like, okay, you were you were bad this year. Do they maybe no. let him? 
I, I, I think it's I, right now. I think he's in a spot to re-sign him at a at a better price than he would have. I mean, if that dude scores twenty six goals again this year, you're you're gonna have to pay him, like you said, three million dollars. Like that's that's not how it's gonna work. So they're actually, I, I do listen. I think it's very likely that this is just standard operating procedure that there's not some major move coming. But if they were becoming sellers and they were somehow going to move like Nita Ryder or even, let's say, a, a bigger name, perhaps, which, again, we we both think is very, very unlikely and improbable. And I think the only forwards you have that you could potentially trade are Nita Ryder and Granlund. Like, I don't think anyone's going to take Duchesne or Johansson. Right, I agree. I agree. Of Forsberg. Like, but it's those two guys are nothing. I, I agree. And what you're doing then is at least guaranteeing yourself some pieces for a starting lineup next year. Even if you are admittedly going into some sort of rebuild that you don't want to talk about or whatever. But again, if you trade Niederreiter or Granlin, I mean, you're sort of signaling to, to the franchise and to the fans, which frankly, and we're going to get to this because the fans, I think, uh, I think part of the frustration with like, we just don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah. um, so we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But I, I think I, that's something that that needs to be addressed, too. And maybe David Poyle needs to come right out and, and say, my vision for the team is this. But I would argue, not really necessarily with Novak, because I think Novak it could be, he's only 25. He he could be a future part of this team. And I think he could be a solid bottom bottom six player. But you, you could argue, is the team really better next year with Cole Smith over Philip Tomasino? Is it really better with Cole Smith over Igor Afanasiev? Is there not a younger, higher upside skill player that can score goals that can take that roster spot? And I understand you want to give these guys top six minutes in the in the AHL, but you get to a point where you're Tanner Janot and you're 25 and you're still in the AHL and they're like, we, you're too old to be here, basically. Like, yeah. obviously, you don't have to run into that with Tomasino. He's still 2021. 20, right, right. well, well, and we'll get you, to you, you get into that slippery slope. And, and we will get to what is now a top 10 farm system for the Nashville Predators, which I think is what you're talking about. And again, this is the this is the Cole Smith thing. Like you draft these guys to to develop them and play them. Fucking right. play them if you're going to do that. That's my point. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Cole Smith is a guy. He is what he is. You know what you're going to get. Are you are you suggesting that one of these players we're going to talk about here in a few minutes could not provide more? I think that's that's where we're at with this. It's just all right. We know what he is. He's not offensive at all. <laughs> In any real way, he's, he's not like, offensive, but he is offensive. He's in the friend zone. Cole Smith is in the friend zone. That's what he is. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in the friend zone. Um, all right, speaking of friends, you you make a lot of them on Twitter. Um, yes. So do I. I'm the same way. I you know we 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 throw opinions out there into the internet because that's what the internet does, and it's what it's for. Uh, we'll get to the All Star game, and and this kind of leads into the All Star game as well, and then it'll lead into our farm system conversation. But I I don't like you already alluded to this. I think the team is completely disconnected from its from the real fan base because I think this is a five or six year process where the real when fan we say the team, in my opinion, the team is front office and management, not the players. The players are very much in tune with how the fan base feels. And and frankly, when they are asked to do events with fans, when they are doing the Preds and Pins or they're doing the Vegas night or where they, when they when they do all this stuff, they're great. Generally speaking, they they are great ambassadors for the for the organization and they do what they're supposed to do and. They do it with a big smile on their face. They do charity work. They do all the things in the community like that you want out of professional athletes and then some like so major, major kudos to those players for what they do in the front office and the organization does a lot of that stuff, too. But but it started with pricing out the blue collar fans after the Stanley Cup. The the tickets yeah. got expensive and the fans, the, the diehard sort of guy, men and women and kids that were there in like oh four and oh five and oh six. 
that have been there for a decade and a half, struggling with this franchise, barely making the playoffs every year, not really winning a whole lot, but like it was our thing. All of those people got priced out of the game and out of the building. And then the team slowly got worse every year. And slowly but surely, fans have lost trust in David Poyle. Slowly but sure, like they did make the coaching change, but things get more expensive because the, the, the arena itself keeps being ranked. And this is a compliment to the organization that it's still one of the best arenas in the city, in the, in the country to go to for either concerts or sporting events. But like, it's just not the same. It's not the same. And the relationship, there is something missing. And I think almost all of it is, is some sort of tone deafness to the reality of the situation that maybe David Poyle has. I, I don't know. But what then happens is... I don't, I don't think he... I was going to say... Someone asked him at the end of the last season. I don't know if it was if it was Stillman or if it was Adam. Someone asked him if he's worried about the fans turning on him, so to speak, and, and getting angry, being angry with him. And he was his answer was, I hope not. And then he went off to explain why he thinks he should have a little bit more time. I, I think he sees it, but I think he's in denial that it's actually happening. Well, and and to and so this leads us to the to the fans. I think that is a fair critique of the team. But then at the same breath, many fans just immediately say, well, why aren't the media doing their jobs? And and I'm yeah. like, I think there's a couple of different <laughs> things here that need to be explained. First of all, hockey and the Predators aren't good enough to get ratings on radio and television. They aren't. The games don't rate. The conversations will turn people off because it's the freaking Super Bowl week. <laughs> like people yeah. want to talk about freaking football. And that is always going to be the case in Nashville. Plus, it's the South, and football is always, yes. always yes. will be king. So you cannot get good, great. You like I know Kayla Anderson personally. She knows the Preds. I know Robbie Stanley and Joe Rexwood personally. I know Stillman personally. They know the Preds. One zero two five is forced to talk about the Preds yeah. because they're partnered. One zero four five doesn't talk about them because they don't get ratings. So where are you going to get really good content, like content for Preds? You're going to get it digitally. You're going to get it in print form. You're going to get it from the athletic, from post, from the scene, from podcasts like this one, and it's all your fault. So don't don't tell me that like non-traditional media is some sort of joke compared to like regular media because regular media, quote unquote, is governed by science that eliminates the predators from their coverage because they don't draw audience. So let's just set that up right now. That's why you listen to this show. Is because we it's will- the same reason why MTSU and Vanderbilt are not talked about as much yes. as, as the Vols are yes. in this town. They're yes. local, they're closer, but they don't move the needle like the Vols do. So that leads, to, and then we can combine this with a much bigger conversation about like media being pared down and like people not investing in local and, the, you know, Gannett and the Tennessean being, you know, what it is. And it's just a, you know, a trending social trend, you know, aggregator at this point. Like if someone get, wants to pay me to talk Preds eight hours a day and people will stream it, I am all for <laughs> right, it. I will do right. it. I will quit my job right now and I will do right. that. Right. And and there is an appetite for good, high quality content that is honest, objective and critical. And I'd like to think that this show does that. Um, and you've already alluded to it. One of the questions in which John Hines had to answer was from someone who worked for the team. Yeah. Like there's there's there's. Listen, I don't think press conferences are worth a shit. Like, I just don't. I don't think they're any. I was there at the press conference for the one you're talking about with David Poyle at the end of the year last year. The value I got from that press conference was watching his body language, was watching how he answered questions, not the words he said or the things that he said. John Hines' body language is what it is now at press conferences after losses. But what I did, what I did do, and again, for those that want to be critical of the questions, I went up to David Poyle after the press conference 
I got a little quick one-on-one with him. I put it on this podcast. You can go listen to it. And I said, are you going to do anything different in this offseason? Like, how are you going to approach this offseason that will be different than anything you've ever done in the past? I don't know how I can be any more honest with the question when I'm asking David Poyle about his offseason strategy, which is the thing the fans want to know about. And I'm not going to ask it like a dickhead. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to just be like, hey, dude, all your shit sucks. Are you going to do anything different this year? Like, no, you're an adult. You have a job to do. He has a job to do. You go up and I say, are you going to change any of your strategies and how so in this offseason? Basically saying the last couple of years hasn't worked. Are you going to do anything differently in how you approach this offseason? And he basically looked at me and in about a minute and a half answer, one-on-one, essentially said no. (laughs) He essentially said, this is our process. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. And and it's worked for, for a very long time and we're not going to change anything. You can take that information with what you what you want it to be, but that is the, that is a that is a question that is critiquing his offseason strategy. If there's I, I one thing David Poyle is good at, it's dragging out an answer to basically tell you nothing. But but I don't know what like like I, St- Stillman gets such a hard time, and I know you and him have a thing, and me and him have a thing, and everybody's got a thing with Stillman. But like Stillman asks those questions, like I don't understand. Like who, what is it you're supposed to ask? I just don't like this is not supposed to be a combative relationship with the team from a media perspective. I I think think it's a lot of fans think that way now that like if you're not burning the team and going scorched earth on everybody, you're not doing your job like reporters. A reporter's job isn't supposed to be to sit there and just put the damn team on blast all the time. You be critical when it's called to be critical. You write about the good things when there's good things going on. Like your, your, your job as a reporter is to inform the fans of the inning of the inner workings of the team that they can't get themselves because they don't have the access that media does. Right. It's not my job to sit there and put the team on blast because they're going through a losing streak. I, I, out of all the episodes of the gold standard we have done this year, there's maybe one where it was more positive than it was negative. (laughs) It's been negative because we point out the flaws with this team. We point out what we see as journalists and we point out what we what we think they need. We add analysis to it. What do they need to do? I, I remember when I was sitting there, I was like, you need to break up the herd line and give Taron Genoa a spot on the second line. It's exactly what they did. Like, it didn't work out because I don't think they they did that that plan credibly did the right so, way. You're so wrong, Gallagher. Yeah. Well, no, but it's, but he, it's no, not but the media's it. job to sit there and just, I get it. Fans are mad and they want heads. They want accountability. And because nothing is happening, they, they're like, oh, the media and their softball questions. I have asked questions that have get gotten blown off. And the end of the season press conference last year, David Poyle sat there and said, I have not given John Hines enough players to be successful. Yeah. And he said, that's going to change. And I went up to John Hines and I asked him after that, when we had the the broke off in little groups, right? I said, David admitted he hasn't given you enough to win. And I said, what are you, what are you, how is that relationship going to change? How much more of a voice are you going to have in player selection for this team? Because you know, your system better than anyone. And he basically took a minute and a half to sit there and say, Oh, it's a collaborative effort. We're going to work together. And David <laughs> and I, we're going to sit there. And we're going to go through these players together. I knew that was what he's going to say, but I still asked the damn question anyway. It sounds a lot like Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel right now. Um, yeah. but, so, but, but again, I, I want to like, I'll, I'll give everybody like a media kind of a peek behind the media curtain. And I think if you already listen to this show and you're this deep into this podcast that you kind of already know this, like, again, what makes Stillman extremely talented is his ability to keep you interested when you're not a Preds fan in Preds content during his afternoon radio show. He is brilliant at that. But a lot of times that comes with a lot of, 
I don't, it's not like hot take stuff, but it's a lot of inflammatory anxiety, engagement, enragement stuff. That is what works in radio. What works in podcasts is to have a nine minute conversation about a $775,000 player and what does it mean for the future of the organization? That if you want that type of content, you come here. And it's not like if you're listening. If you're listening to a podcast, you're you're intentional with what you're doing. You're seeking yeah. most times you're seeking out a podcast to listen to. If you're listening to Stillman or, or 104.5, most of the time you're probably driving on the road somewhere on your way to work from work. Like you're just tuning it on. Right. Like you could change you could change the channel if you want. You could you could obviously stop the pot listening to the podcast. But I feel like radio audiences and podcast audiences are completely different. They're one million percent different. And it's not like Stillman couldn't do the podcast too. Like he could sit here with us and debate the merits of Cole Smith's contract and what does it mean for the future. But that conversation doesn't work on radio. You cannot, you cannot win the quarter hour, as we say in the business with that conversation. And so you have radio, you have about 30 seconds to catch someone's attention before they, before they switch to the next station. So uh, again, we're about to talk about Joachim Kemmel on this show. No chance you can do that on one Oh four five. Okay. You just can't, you can't do it. Not during the Super Bowl week. You can't even um, talk about Philip Forsberg on 104.5. Right, right. And it's not and it's not even 104.5's fault. It's the distribution model's fault. It's the media. It's social media. It's all this other stuff. If you want and thoughtful, nuanced conversations, you come to 440 Sports. And, and before we move scene, off of this topic, post. before we move off of this topic, I just want to say my piece on this because this is what spurred the whole thing. <laughs> someone, someone last night is Smashville's finest. They said, is, they tweeted, is there a professional sports franchise more disengaged from reality than the Preds? Which... Yes, there are some merits to that convert having that conversation. And then they they said it seems like the only people in existence who think this is a competitive roster are the people in the front office. Okay, hang on. Merits. So so far, everything in that that and that you've read is is solid. Yeah, it's good. It's merit to that as well. And then they said, and a majority of the media that is incapable of criticizing this team. To which I quote tweeted them and said, "Please enlighten me on this segment of the media who are incapable of criticizing the team." And I wasn't doing it in a provocative way. I wasn't trying to start a fight. It was literally me, genuinely me just saying, I want an example of this because I see this all the time. And everyone says it. Everyone says the media doesn't ask questions. The media will go up there and they'll ask all these, these lame questions that like don't hold the team accountable, I guess. I don't know. So all I was asking was like, enlighten me on, on who. I'm, name some names if you want. Give me an example or whatever. And then a couple other people were were going back and forth on it. And then we had some people that are just jackasses going out and just being insulting. And my <laughs> point ones, to this was, those are the, those are the ones I went after. Cause I was like, Oh, these are my people. <laughs> yeah. The one guy's like, do you even go to press conferences, bro? Like who the hell are you dude? Shut no, up. No, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Don't attack the fans. Cause the, the tw- you can attack Twitter and people being keyboard warriors. But uh, we, I think our point here is there's a very big difference between those of us who work in the media, quote unquote, and those of us who work for the team. Yeah, that that was the ultimate point that I wanted to make. I I get it. Willie Donick works for the team and he is not that critical of the Predators. He always tries to find the bright spot to look on look at the silver linings and all that. I get it. We we called but, him we called him Coach Donick on the air. Yeah. Like cuz he was never going to give us anything. <laughs> and the same with Lindsey Rowley. I love Willie Donick. I've I've known and him for And the same with Lindsey Rowley and Kara Hammer and Chris Mason and like I get it. You're you're these are they're the face of the team. These are who you interact with probably the most. You consume a lot of their their content on television, radio, whatever. But do you really expect broadcasters and people that work in radio who are either employed by the team or they're partnered with the team, like 1025 is, to sit there and blast the team? I'm sure Willie is probably there's probably a lot of things that Willie would change about the Predators and the way they would play. 
but do you really expect him to sit there and, and just run his employer through well, the ringer on, and, on and, radio and on television? He's not going to do that. Well, no. And I think people understand that. Like, let's be honest. And this is not even a Preds thing. Like, like, I don't G- think they do, though, because they keep lo- they keep their anger is directed at the broadcast media because they think that they're trying to just not be critical of the team. And yes, they're they're, they're employed by the team, so they're not going to be critical of the team. But I want people to stop looping in the local media with the broadcast media because the broadcast media probably won't be critical of the team. We are very critical well, of the team. So is Gover. So is Alex Doherty. There's a lot yeah, of other yeah. guys it's out just, there that yeah. are critical of the team. So local media, yeah. broadcast media are two separate things. Stop looping them all into one group. Right. I think that's the other. There is one thing that I will say about this particular Nashville is a particularly um I'll call it like polite media market that, that that is one thing that I think is a fair criticism of Nashville is that we are a particularly polite and it's like, like Taylor Lewan, I think is going to learn this has, has learned this the hard way. Um, I, I think certain people don't know, like if, the, if the, if players leave to go play in like Philadelphia or Dallas or New York or Chicago, like I think they learn real fast. It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice in Nashville. So there is some of that, but like, that's how we all live and operate in the city. Like we we're, we're not, we're a pretty relaxed town. We're a pretty chill market. And maybe that needs to change for the Titans or the Preds to win a championship. I, I don't know. I, I feel I, like what I feel like what Preds fans want is what was it a couple weeks ago with uh was it the Bengals running back or the Bucks running whoever it was, Giovanni Bernard, whoever he plays for now, when the reporters basically just like came at him with like their pitchforks and they're like, You need to answer our questions. You've been injured this whole season. Why aren't you? Why are you running away from? Them? I think that's what Preds fans want from the media here, and that's just not how it's done. Well, and let's be very clear. I, I'm a huge fan of the athletic. I'm a fan of Joe Rexroad. He'll ask a question at a press conference, but they did not fill Adam Vingan's slot for a reason. They 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 didn't hire someone to replace him. And so I I like that shows you what and the athletic is very good at covering hockey. But like that shows you how valuable NHL coverage truly is. But let's be, go back to the NFL here with the Titans. Mike Keith is not on broadcast slamming Mike Frabel. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not it that doesn't happen. Jim Wyatt crossed the street to work for the Titans and I've spoken to him about this a dozen times publicly. He knows where the line is. He is not allowed to cross certain lines. You cannot cross line. The Preds official podcast what is a great source of content for a specific type of content. If you want good backstory on a player's family from Finland, that's a great place to get that story. But that's not they're not going to go on that show and start talking about how garbage the power play is. Like it's like they're not stupid. They'll allude to it, but they're yeah. not gonna they're not gonna call for like it just and, and again, some of this is just you and me being inside media here and we're just kind of venting and getting stuff off our chest. So let's let's professional sports teams want to control the narrative as much as they can. So yes. of course the broadcasters aren't gonna say anything that can be interpreted as as defaming the team. And I will say this of all the organizations, college or pro in this market, the one that is the most sensitive about those things in this town is the Nashville Predators. That's it. I'll just that that that's that's all it is. And I'll just, I'll just Nashville SC's got a little bit of that too. <laughs> but, but not like the yeah. Preds. The, the the Preds are the most the most like aware of that type of stuff and how they then go out and try to kind of mold that message and that strategy and I don't blame them for wanting to do that. But sometimes you got to act big. And the Titans in the NFL, they act big all the time. They don't give I will a shit. say yeah. things are things are a little bit looser now than they were when I first started covering this team. Like I would write a story about the team and I would have I would have team employees and spokespeople reaching out being yeah. like this, this sentence need to be needs to be changed because it's not entirely accurate. Like they would go over everything with a fine tooth comb. They've kind of backed off a little bit on that. 
But that just gives you a little bit of insight into how the team works. They're very aware of what people are saying about them from outside media. Well, the former head coach tried to have me fired. Allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. So, so uh, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, quickly, uh, before we get to the prospect rankings, we've already gone too long here. Uh, but the, the all-star game, UC Saros, hey, look, they, listen, they win the, sc- the skills challenge. He scores a goal. <laughs> Um, he looked good in his uniform. I, here's my, here's the only thing. Like the pro bowl was completely meaningless to me this past weekend. Didn't see a single second of any of it. Skills challenge the game. I'll, I'll be honest. I did not watch any of the, the NHL stuff. I used to like for my birthday request to be able to stay up late to watch the major league baseball all-star game. Cause it always happened right after my birthday. And that was like such an important thing in my childhood. Don't watch that really anymore either. The NBA All-Star game was just the dunk contest in the 90s. That's all I ever cared about. Like, yeah. I don't, I'm don't. i not even sure. Like, I think it's cool that Saros has been nominated twice in a row. They won the skills challenge. He scored a goal. Whatever. It's cool for social media. But, like, I don't think... Does anyone actually get anything out of any of these All-Star games anymore? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know why we do them. So. I didn't watch any of the NHL All-Star weekend. I already... I On a regular basis, I watch UC Saros try to carry a team that gives him no goal support. So, why would I want to do it again in an All-Star <laughs> setting? So... Three on three. Unless... <laughs> Unless you have a slam dunk contest or a home run derby, something exciting that you don't typically get to see during a regular game, no one cares about all star stuff. It's basically it's it's the Pro Bowl for the NFL and being an NHL all star is basically like getting an all American status. Like there's no all American game, but it's a yeah, designation yeah. that you were the top of the top of the players. So I, I think it's funny. Um, I, I do think like it didn't like an AHL player like break the speed record or something though i thought i saw that which that's that's maybe seems kinda, that seems kind of cool like to I be have the no fast- idea i was i was tuned out of everything to be the fastest skater in ahl history that's pretty cool i think that that's cool if that's what happened i don't even know what league it happened in but i think it is the are the hershey whatever bears or whatever is that at the ahl level i don't even know um so. uh, all right quickly scott walker or scott wheeler excuse me <laughs> Scott, Scott Walker, Scott Wheeler, <laughs> uh, from the Athletic, put out his uh, prospect rankings list. And two years ago, this team was 17th, and in, in the National Predators were 17th at this point. Last year, they were 12th, and this year they are now a top 10 farm system at number 10. Number one prospect, Joachim Kemmel, the 18-year-old first-round pick from last year. Askarov, the number Askarov, excuse me, the number two pick, uh, 20-year-old goaltender who got got a little cup of coffee there one one game because of Lincoln's illness. Uh, number three, a name you might recognize, Philip Tomasino, just 21 years old. Luke Evangelista, at, at number four, at 20 years old. Zach Le, Zach Larue, at 19 years old, at number five. Yuso Parsonin uh, is on the list at number six. Fedor Svechkov, at 19 years old, is on the list at number seven. I'll stop there. Because that means the top seven prospects in the in a top ten farm system for the Nashville freaking Predators, six of those seven are forwards. I cannot remember a time where the farm system looked healthier from an offensive standpoint in the history of the organization. And I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think it is. This is oh, absolutely le- not. This is legitimately the best collection of forward prospects this team has ever had, and all of them are twenty one and under. And two of them have already played substantial minutes at the NHL level. Yeah. I, I mean, they were 12 last year. They're 10 this year. They're moving up. I will say I tend to agree with Scott Wheeler's analysis of prospects more than Corey Prodman's. Both are fantastic prospect writers for the athletic. But I feel like Scott Wheeler is usually a little bit more right on the money than Corey Prodman is. Um, I think personally, I think one's a little high for Kimmel. To me, there's no question Askarov is their top prospect hands down. I would put Kemmel at two, uh, but I thought, you know, he had some strong showings at the World Junior Championship and the Junior International Tournaments. 
but he has just nine goals and 11 points in 34 games in Liga. I need to see more from him. He he's looked solid, but Nashville to be Nashville's top prospect. I, I want to see him start filling out the score sheet more. Obviously, the nine goals looks good, but I mean, I I just feel like this to be designated the team's top prospect, and I think that the talent is there and the potential is certainly there. But I just I just don't see enough to put him in that spot now. I think Askarov, on the other hand, is voted an AHL All Star. He's tied for fifth in wins. He's right. fifth in minutes played. He surprisingly has four assists. He leads the NHL or the AHL <laughs> in assists among goalies, which I thought was pretty interesting. That to me is a guy that deserves the designation and he's also playing up to the billing i think kemmel can get there but i would put him at two i think three through six is spot on tom messino evangelista larue parson and i think the only reason why parson is six is because he was a seventh round pick there's not yeah, really yeah. i mean larue the, the pedigree first round not, pick, the pedigree's not there yeah, yeah. larue and Tomasino first round picks evangelista second round pick they're all putting up you know scoring in bunches and stuff but i think parson is one of those guys where he's not rated highly on a prospect list but he's a really good nhl player and i think svechkov at seven is a bit surprising wouldn't it really i was say we haven't really heard too much from him they drafted him i think two years ago with when they drafted him first and then traded up to get larue he's only got two goals and four points in 26 games in the khl mm. he, he was technically a point per game player last year in the vhl which is the khl's minor league uh, system but nine of his 31 points were goals he's more of an assist kind of thing more of an assist kind of guy and the thing i wonder about is is he just a younger version of granlin and what i mean by that is is a center who can score the who can score the occasional goal but they're more of an assist guy he's not really flashy he's not exactly a playmaker but he can kind of drive offense a little bit yeah. that's that's the only thing i wonder about that is if you're going to spend a first round pick i think he was at what 17 or 18 on, on a guy like that I, I feel like you need to be aiming higher than Mikhail Granlin 2.0. You sure as hell are not going to get any Svechkov analysis like that on the, on the airwaves. Um, I, I, eight, nine, and ten are all defensemen. Ryan Ufko is their top defense prospect, nineteen year old. Um, Anton Ryan Ufko. I've spoken to a couple scouts that said that he's pretty highly sleep, thought of, right? Yeah, don't sleep on Ryan yeah. Ufko because he wasn't really like a high draft pick or anything like that. But they said a couple of the scouts I've talked to have said that he's someone that that shows up. And there's like, oh, that's Ryan Ufko. And then like you leave the tournament or you leave the showcase or whatever. And you're like, wow, that Ufko for Nashville is really impressive. He's someone that is kind of like he sneaks up on a lot of people. Do do the Nashville Predators have a history with 510 players named Ryan at, at defense at all? You, I think they might. I might have to go on and check Wikipedia, but I think they might. To go check. Um, also, I don't know how to say his name, but uh, is it uh, Chistyakov? Just 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 I don't know how to say his name. Demian Shostakov. Ooh, nice. Well done there. Um, I, I, uh, he's at number nine. I think it's also a statement of how deep this organization is when Igor Afanasiev is number 11 yeah. on your prospect list, that a one, guy that was battling for a roster spot out of camp. That one I don't get at all. He's battled for a roster spot the last two years in training camp. He's been a last kind yeah, of last-minute yeah. cut. He's got 10 goals and 21 points through 44 games. He's only two goals behind his goal total from all of last year, and he's two-thirds of the way to his point total from last year. He's someone who has taken the coaching. Last year, they wanted him to work with playing more of an edge and being a grittier player. He did that. Now he's back to being the offensive player he is, and I think he's someone who has taken the coaching and really developed. I To move him down to 11, I think I had him last year and, and the post prospect rankings, which were not the athletic, but uh, I think we had him somewhere around 7 or 8. Just uh, as good, team just, at 11 was surprising. Just, just as good, in my opinion. Um, You've actually talked to these guys and worked with them. And here's what yeah. I will say. Again, I think it's a testament to how deep it is that he's number 11, whether that's accurate or not, whatever. The fact that those 11 guys, um, you know, eight of them or seven of them are forwards. Uh, what the, the irony of all ironies, 
would be that David Poyle spends 40,000 years as a general manager in the NHL developing elite goaltenders and defensemen for the vast majority of his entire career, builds Nashville into a defense goaltending machine from a prospect standpoint, only to be undone in his entire career by his inability to find goal scoring and then has to either retire, resign, or is fired when he has found all the best goal scorers he's ever going to find. <laughs> that, yeah. That's the irony of all ironies. The only um, thing that would make that even worse for him, and it looks like it might happen, is if Ellie told him becomes a perennial 30 uh, goals. Yeah, as Kevin Fiala is being introduced as a Bond villain uh, at, at the All-Star <laughs> game. That mustache, dude. Come on, kid. Um, all right. So, listen, it's a great farm system. I wanted to point that out. I know you're, you've talked to a lot of these guys, so I want to get your analysis on a few of them. Uh, it is a top 10 farm system loaded with forwards. Bigger point here, don't trade any of them. <laughs> don't trade any of them to try to replace Alex Carrier for two weeks. Like, just just sit tight, David Poyle. That's, if you want to trade Svechkov, I'm fine with that. Just sit tight. Just sit tight. That's all I want to know. Just all I want to do is just sit tight. Uh, for the big game this weekend, where should you go if you want to cater your big game party with a bunch of people and not have any stress or worries about it? I think you should go to Jasper's. I think go that's the place to go. If you want great drink specials during Preds games, home and road that you can eat and drink for fun, not for free, you can park for free, where do you go? Same thing, Jasper's. If you want to park for free and play in a game room for free and your kids can go play in the game room while you and your spouse or friends can have a nice meal, where would you go? Jasper's, three for three. There you go. If you would like to read and consume high-quality, nuanced, thoughtful content about the Nashville Predators and other Nashville sports items, where should you go? Nashville Post and the Nashville scene. Michael Gallagher, where can people find you? Follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore, and you can read my daily Pred stuff at the Nashville Post. Listen, it's all your fault as well. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks for hanging out with us and letting us vent about our careers and lives here on the Gold Standard Podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the big game. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.